Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Crystal, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Workshop, Mind-Body Techniques to Cope with the Stresses of Cancer. This is a workshop that many of you have requested for a long time, and um, we are delighted to be able to offer this workshop. We hope to be able to offer it more often. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And because of that collaboration and all of your really great interest in this program, and I have to say you've been incredibly interested in this program. Many of you have been signing up for this a lot. We have over 712 participants on the call today. So you're a very large audience. And you come from all over the United States. You come from all different regions of the United States, um, from both urban areas and suburban areas, as well as rural and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from many countries, from Australia, Argentina, Canada, India, Ireland, New Zealand, Singapore, Switzerland, United Kingdom, and Zimbabwe. So really from all over the world, it's a bit of a global call as well. Now today's program is generously sponsored by Loretta and Raymond Mossman. I really want to thank them for their support of this program and for their interest in our being able to offer you this program today. Now, we have the best speakers on today's program, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Lorenzo Cohen. Dr. Cohen is Professor and Director, Integrative Medicine Program, Richard E. Haynes, Distinguished Professor in Clinical Cancer Prevention, Department of Palliative Rehabilitation and Integrative Medicine, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Cohen is going to provide a definition of stress, and he's also going to talk about the importance of coping with stress. Now, it's my great pleasure to turn this program over to Dr. Cohen. Hi there. Thank you for, uh, for having me and thrilled to be able to share some of uh, what we know in, in this area of, of stress issues around mind-body practices, coping with cancer, um, and and the like. And, and we have a wonderful opportunity to share what we know and, and very importantly, get to uh, question and answer. So as we're talking, uh, please, you know, make sure you uh, jot down some notes and, and we can have a, a lively discussion in the second half. Um, so let's start with... with um, cancer. Uh, of course, people listening are are dealing with cancer in some form or another, whether you've moved into survivorship or still undergoing active treatment. And um, an important uh, attendees, hopefully, also are, are the caregivers. And uh, being diagnosed with, with a life-limiting uh, illness, of course, um, is is extremely stressful in and of itself. Um, and And the challenges that cancer entails beyond the uh the threat to length of life is is also all the challenges around um 
symptoms and managing symptoms and the challenges around decision making of of what one is supposed to do because there are more often than not a lots of different choices and uh physicians and healthcare professionals today are are less uh willing to say this is what you must do and they list out lots of options and of course uh that can be quite stressful in and of itself uh before we get into some of the the details uh around all of this um let's start with with a definition i've been loosely using this term stress um and what's important to to understand um and you'll see why shortly is that that the language around this really matters um and it's important to differentiate the word stress from the word stressor so the the stressor is is the event the thing that somebody is experiencing and they could be relatively benign stressors like uh the the challenges of of getting to work in the morning if you have a long commute and and a lot of traffic uh that can be classified as a stressor to the more uh potent ones such as a diagnosis of cancer um and both of these are the stressor meaning the actual event now how somebody responds to the stressor in terms of um uh the the individual response from a biological level as well as behavioral level that is closer to what we define as stress and the reason that's important is that two individuals could be experiencing the same stressor but they respond in very different ways and the goal that we uh try and help patients to um to deal with is that uh it, it to to try and uh modify these stressors to cause as little harm as possible uh to the individual both at a at a psychological level as well as very importantly at a, at a biological and physiological level um and we'll be discussing today the very many 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 behavioral strategies uh to be able to turn these potentially harmful stressors into something that that causes less uh damage to us The other thing that's important to differentiate is the difference between acute stress and chronic stress. Um so you will often hear you know people say you know I thrive under stress and you know if I don't have stress to accomplish a task then um I'm not able to <clears throat> function as well um and in fact there is some evidence to suggest that the right amount of of stress so the right amount of challenge um in in some situations actually does uh correlate with better performance uh so if you go into a concert or if you go into a sporting event uh with with you know no stress at all you there's actually data to say that that you don't perform as well so it's you know it's having the right amount that allows you to to rise to the challenge and perform well now evolutionarily speaking the acute stress response was was extremely adaptive and very important so the acute stress response uh as you can imagine is what allowed our ancestors to get out of danger to as as we call it uh fight uh or flee so the fight or flight response and this acute response um we hypothesize that that we have 
um, evolved from our ancestors who probably had the most reactive acute stress response because they were the ones who were able to get out of danger faster. And some aspects of the acute stress response are are really adaptive for uh, our ancestors who were living on the, in the savanna and living in the jungle and uh, experiencing a lot of often predatory uh, dangers. So the acute stress response is an increase in heart rate and blood pressure. There's an increase in um, oxygenation of your muscles, a shunting of the blood from uh, internal organs into the muscles uh, so that you can flee. Um, there is, in fact, um, a, a speeding up of platelet clotting time, uh, which means that if you were caught by this predator uh, and and your skin was cut and you were harmed, that you would actually not uh, bleed out as fast because your blood is clotting faster. Uh, there's actually a change in the curvature uh, of the eye and you're able to see long distances further. Um, and so these, as, as you can tell, are all, you know, extremely adaptive for um, for that acute stress response relevant to to uh to cancer in particular is is there's an increase in inflammation um and why that can be good in an acute setting is that it allows your body to respond to uh potential damage so if 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 you're caught you want to have an increase in inflammation um so what we see in the acute stress response, unfortunately, is the exact same biology, give or take a few uh, hormones, but essentially the exact same biology that you have with a chronic stress response. Uh, so it's you know not very adaptive when you are uh, sitting at your computer, in my case, stressed out writing a grant, um, and having a speeding up of my platelet blood clotting time. That actually is, of course, an increased risk for cardiovascular disease and ultimately uh, potentially having a heart attack. There's no advantage to having increased inflammation uh, when you're sitting in a traffic jam um, every day, day after day. Uh, it's certainly not uh, a useful coping tool, and it's unlikely that uh, there's any predators out there who are going to cut you and you need your blood to, to clot faster. Um, and, and where we see uh, a, a substantial problem is that the harms of inflammation uh, have a profound effect on all systems in our body, uh, and, and in fact, aspects of inflammation are extremely important for uh, cancer cells to grow and thrive uh, in the body. Um, so, you know, many cancers are, uh, and, and non-communicable diseases in general, such as Alzheimer's, uh, uh, stroke, cardiovascular disease, and many cancers are inflammatory diseases. So this is something that, that we want to try and uh, get control of. Um, now, it's very hard to study stress in um, humans, uh, because 
it's of course not ethical to you know take half the listeners on the call and chronically stress them for a number of years and, and see what happens. Uh, but we can do exquisite uh, manipulation of stress in animal models. And what we see when we uh, do that kind of research, and this has been replicated uh, at MD Anderson and multiple laboratories around the country and the world, in fact, is that uh, exposing mice who have cancer on board to chronic stress leads to uh, more proliferation of disease. And they've been able to map that, that stress can literally get into the tumor microenvironment via the stress hormones and, and makes the body more hospitable to cancer growth. And a very important study uh, showed that, that uh, if the animals had the stress hormone uh, norepinephrine blocked, uh, which is one of the common stress hormones, uh, that the effects of stress actually disappeared. Um, and so some studies have actually been, been looking at the use of beta blockers, uh, which is a common medication that people take uh, typically for, for cardiovascular-related uh, issue, high blood pressure. Some people actually take it uh, acutely if, if they have uh, public speaking anxiety, and, and it allows them to get through their talk because it's blocking the stress hormone, um, that uh, individuals... Um, who are on beta block blockers actually have better outcomes. So what this is telling us is that there's something about the, the sympathetic nervous system activation, this fight-or-flight response that we've inherited from our ancestors, um, is linked in with the cancer process. And this has been found for uh, a number of different cancers. Um, so of course when I'm when I'm giving talks and I describe this and then we go through as as we will in the second part uh with Dr. Spiegel um you know all the different behavioral techniques that we can uh in, engage people to participate in that that these techniques have actually been scientifically documented to show that they decrease stress hormones they increase adaptive coping skills they improve uh, individuals uh, social relationships, ability to find meaning in the illness experience. And very importantly, they dampen down uh, the stress hormones, in particular norepinephrine uh, and, and a better regulation of uh, cortisol, which is one of the other uh, big stress hormones. Um, so when I'm giving talks and, you know, I describe the behavioral and then, uh, of course, I, I mention the pharmacological manipulation with the beta blocker and ask for a show of hands of, you know, who, who's going to, after this talk, go out and ask their doctor about um, getting into a yoga class or they can ask their doctor about uh, a prescription for a beta blocker. Most people put up their hand and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today, but I'm guessing what you're thinking, you know, I need to ask my doctor about that beta blocker because you know our society uh is is looking for the the easier way out and of course you know taking a pill every morning is is certainly easier than having to engage in a 10 to 20 minute mind body practice to help uh relieve stress uh some people you know may even think you know why aren't we just putting beta blockers in the water if it can really decrease all these different diseases now the reality is is that of course beta blockers um, are manipulating, you know, systems in our body, um, and it's doing so in a very focused way, and there are potential 
side effects and, and negative consequences for uh, long-term beta blocker use, particularly if it's, it's for something like managing stress. So, you know, it's ideal to try and uh, take a more non-pharmacological approach. Um, and, you know, the reality is, is it takes time, but uh, this is, you know, important time. And we see from some of the research that the time that is dedicated to helping an individual manage stress from, from a behavioral, non-pharmacological perspective is actually rewarded back in the ability of sleeping better, having better relationships, being able to have better cognitive functioning. So people experiencing chemo brain, we've seen that meditation practices can improve that. It's actually a change in, in neuroanatomy, um, and, and you actually are able to do more and get more done when you are in more of a state of calm uh, on, on a uh, daily basis. Um, so I will uh, stop there and uh, look forward to uh, the next part when we can uh, answer lots of, lots of questions that I may have stimulated with my few remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Cohen. That was very informative and very interesting. I know that people will have lots of questions for you during the Q&A. They're coming in already, so we haven't even told people how to ask questions, so this is amazing. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. David Spiegel. Dr. Spiegel is Wilson Professor, Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Director of the Center on Stress and Health, Medical Director of the Center for Integrative Medicine, Stanford University School of Medicine. And Dr. Spiegel is going to talk about using mind-body techniques to cope with stress. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Spiegel. Uh, thank you, Carolyn, and I'm glad to uh, welcome, as you did, all 712 of you who are listening now, and uh, you're providing a service to yourself and to your family and friends. I want to thank Dr. Cohen for reducing my stress by defining stress, its evolution, and psychophysiology so well. So it will be easy for me now to focus on how one can best cope with stress. And to do that, um, I want you to think about the acronym FACES, F-A-C-E-S. Um, the first, the F stands for facing rather than fleeing stress. The A is for altering your perception of the stressor and how your body is reacting to it. The C is for coping actively. The E is for expressing emotion, and the S is for social support. So I'll go through each of these. Um, as Dr. Cohen described so nicely, we evolved as fairly pathetic physical creatures by fighting or fleeing in the face of physical stress. And the problem now is that um, most of our stresses uh, are not immediately physical, although cancer is both a physical and a psychological stress. But we get our bodies ready to do things that involve a physical reaction to stress, which can now impair our ability to deal emotionally with the stressors that we face. We face uh, existential concerns with cancer, changes in our family and work roles uh, during cancer diagnosis and treatment, changes in physical abilities and in uh, uh, the, our bodies and how they are reacting to the treatments that we're undergoing changes in social environments, making important decisions, fears about recurrence. All of these are real stressors that can elicit both a psychological and a physiological reaction. 
back in uh, pre in evolutionary days, uh, the best thing to do with most stressors was to run away from it uh, before it caught you. Uh, but that tendency to avoid stress is not a good way of dealing with the stressors that cancer patients feel. So I encourage them to face them rather than flee them. Uh, I call it uh, converting anxiety into fear and depression into sadness. Um, if you're generally anxious, you don't know what you're dealing with or what to do about it. So it adds to the sense of helplessness that makes it harder to cope with the stressor. Same with depression. You're so focused on feeling hopeless, helpless, and worthless that it's hard to focus on what it is that making you is making you sad and grieve it. It is normal to have feelings of fear and sadness uh, with cancer and with many other stressors in life. But the more focused you are on what the problem is, the more you're likely to be able to cope adaptively with it. And as Dr. Cohen noted, uh, there is a cost to uh, immersing yourself in the stressor uh, rather than dealing with the adaptive stress response. And so uh, physiological systems like elevating cortisol, which helps prepare the body to fight or flee by elevating glucose in the blood, is good for an acute response, but it is deleterious for a chronic response. And it's, we and others have shown that uh, cancer patients who have trouble coping with stress have abnormal patterns of cortisol in their body, which can have effects that don't and maximally help the body uh, cope with the cancer. Uh, one of the things that this aberrant stress response does is it disrupts sleep, and I'm going to talk a little bit later about the importance of sleep. Um, so face rather than flee. The best way to deal with it is head on, look it in the eye. Uh, the A is altering perception, and this is where a number of mind-body techniques can be very helpful. We all deal with many stresses in our lives by changing our mental state. Some people do it in a less than ideal way by having a drink. Uh, we do it by going to sleep and waking up in the morning and feeling different about it. So altering our mental state is a powerful stress response technique. One that I've been studying for many decades is hypnosis, which is a state of highly focused attention coupled with reduced peripheral awareness. For the, the, Many of you may have had the experience of getting so caught up in a good movie that you forget you're watching a movie and enter the imagined world. You're part of the movie rather than the audience. You don't judge it, you experience it. And that ability to narrow and focus attention can have tremendous therapeutic advantage. Those who have the ability to do this will tend to do it spontaneously. Uh, athletes in preparing for um, a, a competition will run an imaginary race, uh, running their best race, and they actually improve their performance by doing it. And the fact that they're not actually doing it is not what's foremost in their mind. They're having the vivid mental experience of engaging in that activity. We've identified that there are specific brain regions that get activated, and I think one thing that's very important is to recognize that the brains that sit on top of our shoulders are master regulators of the body, and we can learn to use them better to help manage stress response and alter our emotional reaction to difficult situations. One example in hypnosis uh, is that we can actually change our perception of problems like pain, which are anxiety-provoking, especially for people with cancer, because every time they have a new ache or pain, they tend to think, oh my God, the cancer's spreading. Often that's not the case, but it's so laced with anxiety that it actually amplifies the pain. However, our brains can do the opposite. So most of you are probably sitting down and you're probably having sensations from your body touching the chairs you're in. Hopefully, 
that was not foremost in your mind till I brought it to your attention. If it was, you can uh, leave the call now. Um, but we do it all the time in order to pay attention. The fact that we can do it means that our brains are very good at telling us what signals to pay attention to and what to ignore. And people with even real physical pain can reduce or sometimes even eliminate the pain by learning to use self-hypnotic techniques, to imagine that they're floating in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, or floating in space, and allowing a sense of warm or cool tingling numbness to literally filter the hurt out of the pain. And neuroimaging studies have shown that cancer patients and others doing this can actually reduce the brain's reaction to pain signals. So pain, you know, the way I tell the students at Stanford is that the, the strain in pain lies mainly in the brain, that you can learn to modulate pain perception even if the pain is quite real. And so just imagining that you're floating, that you're cooler or warmer, if there's a physical technique you use to reduce pain, imagining it in self-hypnosis can actually help you do it. And we found in randomized clinical trials with women with metastatic breast cancer that by the end of a year of teaching them in weekly support groups how to use self-hypnosis, their pain is reduced by 50% on the same and low amounts of medication. And particularly in these days when there's this horrifying opioid epidemic, 20 million opiate addicts in the United States, we need to make better use of these non-pharmacological approaches to effectively managing pain. There are other similar techniques, and I think Dr. Cohen will discuss this as well, like mindfulness that many people are using. It's not the same as hypnosis. It's it's not as focused on solving one problem, but it's a very useful practice to uh, to uh, exert focused attention on various parts of your body, on open presence, on being just open to whatever feelings come through you and not fighting them, but acknowledging them and let them flow by, and enhancing compassion. Social support is a crucial part of coping with cancer, as I'll mention. So there are many mind-body techniques that can help you cope better. In fact, the, one of the key things is find a way to cope actively. That's the C in faces. Um, find thing, something you can do about any problem, no matter how trivial or how serious. Even the ultimate problems like dying and death can be faced better if you focus on how you're going to face them, on how you want to live in the face of these problems. And we found in support groups of women, even with advanced cancer, um, that they feel stronger and better about themselves to the extent that they can face these problems directly. Um, one of the things you can do uh, in coping with these stressors is to follow your grandmother's advice. Eat well, sleep well, and get plenty of exercise. We find that many cancer patients are so focused on chemotherapy and surgery and hormonal therapies that they forget to do the things we all need to do to help our bodies live as long and as well as possible, and one of them is getting a good night's sleep. Sleep is crucial to health. We should spend at least a third of our life asleep, um, uh, but many uh, find that this, either the stress of the cancer itself um, or the additional things they have to do in their lives get them to to chip away at the time they have to sleep, and that's not a good thing. You Think of yourself as being in training to live the rest of your life like an athlete. You need to take good care of your body, and one of the things to do that is sleep, and we found that cancer patients who sleep better do better in general, and one reason is another physiological system that kind of counters the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system that Dr. Cohen described so well. The parasympathetic system is a self-soothing system. It slows heart rate, reduces blood pressure, and it is in control when you're asleep. 
when you go to sleep, the sympathetic nervous system basically turns itself off. The parasympathetic turns itself on, and it helps you to self-soothe. And it's one reason you you feel so much better in the morning, even about a stressful problem than you did the night before, before you had the night's sleep. So it helps you to psychologically and physiologically soothe yourself even in the face of stress. And people who sleep better seem to have better vagal activity during the day as well. So uh, you're doing your body a favor by helping uh, stimulate its own uh, self-soothing systems. The, f the fourth is expressing emotion. Uh, emotion is not a problem. It's a coping mechanism. It's a way to help you recognize what's important and what isn't. There is nothing wrong with feeling at times sad or anxious about having a diagnosis of cancer. It doesn't mean you're giving into the disease. It means your brain is helping you to face what it means and figure out how to better deal with it. And we have found time and again that people who can express their anger, fear, and sadness in support groups like the kind that Cancer Care uh, and other uh, many other programs around the world have, is it helps people, even with people who are seriously depressed, to be able to speak openly about their illness and, and face it directly. It brings you closer to other people who have similar problems. And we found that treating depression uh, with techniques, psychotherapeutic as well as uh, medication techniques, can help cancer patients live better, can reduce their anxiety and depression, and may even extend their survival time. It may help them live longer as well. So. Uh, don't feel that you're giving into the cancer if you're admitting to yourself that you sometimes feel angry or sad about it. It's a good adaptive reaction. Shakespeare said it well. He said, give sorrow words, the grief that does not speak whispers the off-fraught heart and bids it break. So it's good for your body and your brain to admit um, that you're feeling having a negative, what are, we call negative feelings, and you will actually learn to cope better with it. And we found that cancer patients who are more openly expressive of their anger, fear, and sadness, actually reduce their overall levels of anxiety and depression. So it's a very adaptive thing to do. Finally, uh, social support. Um, we are social creatures. Uh, we would not have survived if we lived as splendid individuals and uh, only. And so social support is crucial uh, to coping with cancer. And we found that people, cancer patients who interact um, with one another in support groups not only are less anxious and depressed, but in many studies now actually live longer than cancer patients who don't do that. So it's something you can do that is a, a, an important component of your overall medical treatment. It's not just a nice thing to do. And it can help you find a network of people who are coping with similar problems. You find in a support group uh, that the very thing that makes you feel a bit of a stranger in the world outside where you think, here I am with my cancer and everybody else is happy and healthy, um, in a support group, it's your ticket of admission. And you can use your experience to help other people uh, benefit from what you have learned about coping with cancer. There are even studies in very large um, databases of uh, the, the, uh, some 700,000 cancer patients in the United States that show that married cancer patients all in all do better than, than patients who don't have that kind of social support. So social support is good for your health. And the things you do to help to cope with cancer uh, are things that not only help you feel better, help your families feel better and cope better, uh, but they really should be considered a part of your medical treatment. So all in all, face it. Face rather than flee. Alter perception. Cope actively. Express emotion. 
seek social support, use our brain's wonderful ability to alter our perception, to change mental state through sleep and wakefulness, through techniques like hypnosis, mindfulness, yoga, and others, uh, as an array of skills that will help you face and live fully um, in the face even of stressors like cancer. Thank you so much, Dr. Spiegel. That was really um, really outstanding. Thank you, and just really very very helpful to everybody, um, I think, on the call. And I think there are definitely questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Sarah Kelly. Ms. Kelly is an oncology social worker, and she's a program coordinator at Cancer Care. And Ms. Kelly will be addressing the free psychosocial services and programs offered by Cancer Care and the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Uh, Ms. Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Messner. And we've had just such an amazing call today, and I, I hope everyone who's with us agrees. It was just wonderful. Um, we've been talking really today about ways of managing um, the stress that comes with all of this and really at managing your quality of life. And I'd just like to talk a little about the importance of the support network, which I know Dr. Spiegel just spent a, a good chunk of time on discussing and how we can help with that, how we can be a part of your network. So a little about us, um, we're a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We do that face-to-face -face in the New York area and then over the phone nationally. We have support groups, which we also provide face-to-face -face in New York. We do them over the phone nationally, and online we do them both nationally and internationally. We have education programs like the one we're on today. We provide practical help, assistance navigating the healthcare system. And we also have some limited financial assistance available. All of our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers and they're completely free of charge. And an oncology social worker really is trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person in his or her support network, so the family and friends. We're also trained to help patients and their supports tackle the problems that accompany the disease. So stress, um, physical changes, social adjustments, psychological impact and care, financial demands, and I find adjusting to and finding ways of coping with the diagnosis in all of the areas I just mentioned is an important part of the healing process. And to echo um, something that Dr. Spiegel said, it's, it's part of your care. It's part of the, the medical treatment. You know, as you know, cancer affects the whole person and the whole support network. Um, asking for help by reaching out, um, joining a support group, contacting a social worker for counseling, can be a huge strength to you going through this. And I, I do think if we're kind of thinking back on faces, the idea of that last uh, initial, which was S for support, to know that you don't have to do this alone and that it helps to do it with others. You know, if you join a support group, you're really connecting with others who are in a similar situation or experiencing similar problems. If you are engaging in individual counseling, you have a space that's just yours to voice any of the concerns and navigate the issues I mentioned earlier. And the connections, you know, at the end of the day are going to help lessen the isolation um, that you may be experiencing diagnosed with this. If you're feeling well emotionally, it can better help you deal with the, the diagnosis and the treatment, everything that comes with that. So at this time, um, we are offering a number of services. As I said, we do provide the individual counseling face-to-face -face and also over the phone. 
we have a number of online support groups, and I definitely recommend heading over to our website to learn more about them. At this point, it's over 50 groups um, that we have, and they're often um, very specific to um, either population or diagnosis type, so I definitely recommend heading over there to look at those. We also do the telephone groups and the face-to-face -face groups as well. Our website is pretty comprehensive. There's a lot on there. So all of our publications, including publications on um, using some mindfulness techniques to reduce stress, coping with cancer, financial strain, all of that um, you can find on the website. And you know, lastly, I just want to stress um, as much as I can that you're not alone in this. Um, we really are here to help you. If you have questions um, about anything that came up today, you can call us. You can reach us on our Hope Line. That's 1-800-813-HOPE or 1-800-813-4673. And as I mentioned a moment ago, of course, our website is there, which is www.cancercare.org. So, you know, know as you're going through this that we're with you and, you know, any questions or, or anything else that's coming up for you, don't hesitate to contact us. And remember, you're not alone. Our services are here to help. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. That was wonderful. And now we have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions. I'm going to ask uh, Crystal to bring all of our speakers on board now, and actually, um, if you could explain to the um, participants how to queue up and ask questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible, and if we don't get your questions at the very end of the call, I will give you all guidance in terms of how to get your questions answered. So but let's, let's see how many we can take right now. So, um, Crystal? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Stephanie Kay. Your line is open. Thank you so much, Caroline. This is an excellent seminar. I'm an 11-year breast cancer survivor, and I have a question to the doctors about Qigong and Tai Chi and Reiki to help with your pain and how to deal with the side effects from all the treatment, and also a method called Feldenkrais, F-E-L-D-E-N-K-R-A-I-S method, to help with, I guess, establishing more awareness through movement. It helps you to establish after you had so much injury and illness and to help your body and your mind to reduce pain and promote well-being. And I didn't know much about it, and I had some classes, and I'd like to ask more about those methods. Thank you so much. Oh. And Tai Chi, I'm well, thank you. And, well, thank you, Stephanie. I, I'm Dr. Cohn. Do you want to address that question to begin with? Sure, absolutely. Fabulous uh, questions, and there's you know a lot of information uh, out there on on different mind-body practices, and uh, these these that were described fall into that that category. Um, so Tai Chi um, and Qigong are are movement-based mind-body practices from the the Chinese tradition, and people are probably more familiar with the practice of yoga, which is a mind-body movement-based mind-body practice from the Indian tradition. Um, so Tai Chi and Qigong have actually 
a fair amount of research now in in cancer survivors showing um, in one study that Tai Chi was as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, uh, recruiting breast cancer survivors who who had sleeping issues, uh, and they were they were equally uh, as effective uh, as each other. Um, so, what Tai Chi and Qigong are are um, it's synchronized movements that synchronize the breath and body movements uh in i guess you could say almost slow motion it's it is like a, a doing martial arts in slow motion um and importantly synchronizing breath mind and body uh yoga is similar in that way um but tai chi qigong is done in a in a standing uh position um it's also been found to be very useful in um uh people who who have balance related issues and has been found to decrease fall uh risk um in addition to sleep it's it's been associated also with uh, improvement in different biological measures, so improvement in immune function, decreasing in stress hormones. Dr. Irwin from UCLA actually documented that um, Tai Chi in uh, breast cancer survivors had modification of, of gene regulatory pathways, in particular uh, decreases in inflammatory-related uh, genes. Um, so something to to definitely uh consider and once you learn the practice it's something that you're able to do uh on a daily basis on your own um and it doesn't take a lot of space and it doesn't take uh any equipment uh and it's free once you learn how to do it um Feldenkrais is is a, a different kind of technique that does uh, work with the mind, the breath, and the body as well, but it's typically uh, directed by a, a Feldenkrais expert. Moshe Feldenkrais was uh, an Israeli. I believe he was a, uh, a physiotherapist and um, uh, tapped into this kind of disconnect between the brain and the body. So um, it, it hasn't been researched as much, but the data that does exist, uh, again, suggests that it is uh, a, a useful technique. Um, something to consider with with all of these is making sure that um, whenever you, you seek out a mind-body practitioner that they um, are aware of somebody's particular condition, modify the practices to meet individual need. The concept of no pain, no gain does not apply to a mind-body practice and, uh, you know, never force something that, that doesn't feel right. Um, I think your last question was about Reiki. So Reiki uh, is is quite different from uh, these other ones. Reiki comes from the Japanese tradition um, and falls into uh, the category of what one would call energy medicine. Um, and the principle here is that, that human beings um, have, we, we are energetic beings and, and that is not controversial. We're made up of of electrical and, and chemical interactions. Uh, the controversy, I guess you could say, if there is one, is that uh, the concept behind Reiki is that 
uh, we can manipulate that energy and transmit it uh, to another human being to to help them in healing, help them in rebalancing. Um, it, it has, again, not been studied as much, but there's um, the studies that exist suggest that it can be useful for cancer survivors. What's difficult to differentiate is uh, the, the placebo effect. Um, now, just a word on the placebo effect. You know, we often in medicine we think of the placebo effect as meaning that 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 particular intervention uh, is not real or that it it doesn't work. Uh, but it, we know the placebo effect is real, and it modifies biological processes of in the body. Um, so, you know, we don't offer Reiki at MD Anderson uh, because of, as I described it to you, it could be viewed as, as a bit controversial. Uh, but I know many, many, many cancer survivors who uh, have benefited uh, from that practice. Thank you so much. and Thank you. That's excellent. And, and Dr. Spiegel, did you want to add anything? Um, no, I don't have anything yet. Okay. All right. And another a question then for... Um, uh, for Dr. Um, Spiegel, um, how does one deal with stress every time they have a test or see the doctor? If you could just address this in a general way, so it might be sure. helpful to everybody on the call. Uh, many cancer patients find waiting uh, for results worse than getting results, uh, which seems kind of ironic. But part of the problem, you, I'm, the, this has to do with the C in, in faces, to cope actively. Um, that while you're waiting for the results of the test, you feel hamstrung. You don't know what you can do because you don't know what the results are. So I actually advise people to think through what they'll do either way. So if the, the results of the next test or the doctor's visit is no sign, no evidence of disease progressing, um, you think, great, I'm going to go out and celebrate. Um, and if the results are not as uh, you had hoped, you think, okay, so what am I going to do? I'll talk with my doctor about whether to resume chemotherapy or get some other kind of treatment. If you have a plan in place, you'll find that you feel less helpless in facing what it is you have to face. So think it through and make a plan either way, and that's a way of actively facing the stressor and figuring out what you'll do no matter how it turns out. Thank you. And actually, there is someone who asked us to follow to faces, and I just want to let everybody know that we are going to send you what this stands for, but um, for the moment, someone's asking what the E stands for in faces. So the, the E is for expressing. We'll... <laughs> yeah, the E is for expressing emotion. So many people have been misled, including in the popular media, by the idea that if you're if you're allowing yourself to feel anger, fear, or sadness, you're giving into the disease. That is just wrong. And we have shown in randomized clinical trials that helping people to face their anger, fear, and sadness about cancer and other problems in life actually helps them become less anxious and depressed and do better with the disease, not worse. So emotional expression is a tool. Your emotions are there to tell you this is important, do something about it. And if you uh, allow them to become a part of your life rather than spend, waste time and energy fighting them, you'll find that they'll be a guide to the things that you need to deal with and they'll help you deal with them better. Um, and there's a, a, another question from one of our online participants. Um, and um, actually, I'm going to ask both of our speakers, actually all of our speakers to weigh in on this one, actually. Um, 
So, and perhaps um, Dr. Spiegel, if you could start this one. Being diagnosed with cancer takes away that sense of control over your life. Therefore, in terms of gaining some control and help yourself, what will be the best treatment plan in terms of integrative medicine? Well, certainly uh, it is true that there is a sense in which you feel you're losing control, but you're really not. You're, you're, you're being faced with some new realities that you have to cope with, but you have a number of very important choices to make, especially in the early phase of being di- diagnosed with cancer. And one of the things I advise people to do is take your time. You don't. Uh, a matter of weeks uh, is not going to make any difference in the outcome of the cancer, but the choices you make will make a big difference in the outcome of cancer. We actually have a study f- uh, sponsored by NC, the National Cancer Institute now to look at the choices women make when they're initially diagnosed with breast cancer because there are a variety of choices, and the way they manage their emotional reaction to it is important. We're trying to understand more about that. Uh, but it is crucial that you, if you, the, you're right that the disease itself makes you feel somewhat helpless. Make sure that the process of consulting with doctors and examining all the choices you have is one in which you are in full control. And you confer with as many doctors as you need to with your loved ones as well about what the choices mean because they are very important to outcomes. So don't let the process of diagnosis and treatment make you feel more helpless than the disease itself does. Excellent. Thank you. And um, Dr. Cohen, did you want to comment on this as well? Yeah, I'd, I'd expand on that as well. Is that as that you know when we enter you know this new world of medicine that nobody wants to have to enter in a new language, there is uh, this this sense of unfamiliarity and things being done to us, and this is an opportunity to to you know take stock of of where you are in you know multiple aspects of your life that we know that. Um, that can be in your control that has a chance um, of of improving your outcomes. Um, Now, I I say chance because there isn't, you know, the definitive randomized control trials. You know, what I I can guarantee you uh, is that your quality of life will improve. Um, So, uh, you know, even if the length of life does not improve. However, there is a tremendous amount of data that links the the lifestyle choices that we make in life uh, can influence outcomes. And so in that sense, there is a tremendous amount of control. Today, so far, we've just touched on two, and I'll mention the other four, but those two, of course, are are sleep uh, quality and making sure uh, that you do everything you can to try and achieve that uh, what we know is is the appropriate amount of sleep, which is you know ideally between seven and eight hours, no less than six and a half of of restful sleep, and then of course managing stress and the other four is you know eating a primarily plant based diet not to the necessarily exclusion of animal products, but um you know it's it's just clear we need to be eating more plants um which which is you know reinforced by the USDA and um so this you know looks like the Mediterranean diet or the Asian diet or even the the Latin American diet um that is is essentially eating whole foods exercising a minimum of 30 minutes to 45 minutes you know 5 days a week um and uh where possible trying to 
reduce your exposure to environmental toxins. And as uh, David described so well, uh, love and support, just critical at an individual level and improving your biology as well as as uh, supporting you to be in control and, and to make these uh, lifestyle changes. Um, Tremendous, again, tremendous evidence that uh, these six areas, what what my wife and I, uh, Alison Jeffries, were just finishing up a book on this topic, uh, what we call the mix of six. And they all are interrelated and, and also uh, support each other. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of control that can be achieved uh, during this time where uh, we feel there's there's lots of things being done to us. Excellent. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And Ms. Kelly, did you want to add anything as well? Yeah, you know, I think just, just briefly, um, because Dr. Cohen and, and Dr. Spiegel spoke on this so beautifully, but this idea that we have no control and really the idea that we're not safe, because that's what happens, I think, when someone's diagnosed. So, you know, I know Dr. Cohen initially had talked about what happens to our brains, um, but if we can take that first F from Dr. Spiegel, which is the facing, and then sort of alter those thoughts, that's that's a way um, of having control over this. And there are so many ways that you do have control. It just may not seem like it in the beginning. And so it's getting informed, getting uh, educated, and connecting to that and to those other supports that are out there that can help with it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and we have um, a telephone question. Um, so, um, Crystal, do you want to? Thank you. Our next question comes from Denise G. Your line is open. Hi, how are you? I'm sorry. Um, I have, um, could you ask one question or two questions? One. Um, if you could start with one, that would be great. <laughs> okay, one question I have is, um, how do you, one of the things that I noticed like after my chemotherapy um, and going back to work, like I decided that I did not want to go back to the job that I was working at. I'm a PharmD, by the way. I have my doctor's degree in pharmacy and I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and I had took a year um, leave, medical leave of absence and then I decided that I didn't want to go back there because I felt that was one of my stressors, um, working at that job. And I've been trying to find something part-time for the longest time, and it's been so, like, so stressful. Like, how do you deal with stress in trying to find something that that is compatible for you um, job-wise, um, where you're not going to be stressed about it, and um, you're worrying about bills, and especially if you're by yourself, as a single person. Well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to hear that. I, I think, you know, one of the things that you're illustrating is that whatever choice we make, there are going to be stressors around it. So you you decided that the job you were in was highly stressful, but on the other hand, there are stressors with not having a job and having to look for another one. I would say the thing to do now is to to mobilize whatever support you can get. So there may be cancer support programs or other programs that can help match you, help you find a job that you feel capable of doing. But I would say my main advice is don't go it alone. You are in a stressful circumstance. So mobilize every kind of government or uh, cancer support or other resource 
to help you solve this problem of getting back into the workforce and finding a job that is rewarding and helps you with your financial problems as well. And Denise, I just want to say that actually do um, we'll reach out to you after the call as well because I think that there may be um, at least our staff can, as Dr. Spiegel has said, to help you to find those resources um, might be helpful to you and the concept of not having to do this alone. And Ms. Kelly, do you want to comment on this as well? Yeah, you know, this is something um, at Cancer Care that we hear often. Um, these are really big life changes that happen, and you may physically, cognitively, emotionally, you know, you're in a different place. And so the work, the lifestyle, the things you were doing before may not um, be compatible with where you are now. Um, with the job situation especially, because the financial strain of all of this is a lot as well, definitely uh, to Dr. Spiegel's point, you want to reach out for support call us um, also because we can get you connected to some organizations really quick. Um, I can give you a resource which is Cancer in Careers. Uh, they're a wonderful organization that focuses just on this. And their website is www.cancerandcareers.org. Thank you. And we have um, a question of this one would be for Dr. Spiegel to start with. Um, so if a healthcare professional was interested in leading a patient in hypnosis, how would they initiate this and what does training look like? If, if you could address this, Dr. Spiegel. Sure. There are two good professional organizations that provide guidelines and workshops to train, uh, train prof healthcare professionals how to use hypnosis. One is the Society for Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis. The website is sceh.us. Um, and the other is the American Society for Clinical Hypnosis, and that's asch.org. Um, I can also maybe put in a plug for a book that my late father and I wrote called Trance and Treatment, Clinical Uses of Hypnosis, which is designed to train healthcare professionals how to use hypnosis in their practice. It's not that hard to learn, and it's extremely useful to patients. Well, excellent. Thank you. That was wonderful. That's incredible. So I hope that's helpful to you and many others on the call who really would like to know more about learning and becoming more skilled in this area. Um, and we haven't. I'm just looking for a question. Um, so we have a question um, from one of our online participants. Just um, scroll down a bit. So this is a question um, supporting. Well, I'm going to ask if uh, Dr. Um, Spiegel could address this. Supporting family members while coping with stress over my own health risks, multiple cancers, and close relatives. Um, trying to navigate online research or genetic risks based on common gene marker is overwhelming and feeling defeated from fighting insurance regarding in-depth genetic testing and recommended annual breast MRI. It's a long question really about, um, so asking for really um, the person that has cancer themselves but is also having to support other family members as a caregiver, it sounds like as well. 
um, well, you're you're raising a, a very complex set of questions, um, and I understand your stress in part because genetics make you, uh, as we learn more about it, although we have a lot more to learn, make you not just a patient yourself, but a representative of your family uh, that may have some common genetic risk that would worry other members of the family. It is extremely complex at this point, and it's not something uh, that you, one can usually take on by oneself. There are uh, web resources like 23andMe, which will do a genetic analysis, and, and the main advantage they have is a user-friendly website to help learn more about it. But I would primarily recommend getting a good genetic oncology consult. Stanford and many other cancer centers, MD Anderson, um, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, many others, have excellent cancer genetics programs where uh, a physician who makes it their life work to study and understand this can help explain your specific situation. So I, this is one of those things where I would not take the burden on yourself to try and grasp and explain all this to, to yourself and to your family, but get expert help. Now, the insurance system is a nightmare in this country, and unfortunately, the government seems to be trying to make it even worse than it already is. Uh, but this kind of support should be available to every cancer patient, and I would advise you to do anything you can to get the benefit of well-trained physicians and geneticists who uh, spend their life helping to understand and explain cancer genetics. Excellent. And uh, Sarah, do you want to comment on this as well in terms of resources? Yeah. Yeah, especially the the piece about the insurance, because this is something that comes up. Um, some things get covered, some things don't. The doctor may say, yes, we want you to have this test. The insurance company may say no. Um, let your doctors know if that's happening. Let the medical team know. See if they can help. Get connected to patient advocates. You know, have someone there on your behalf who can maybe um, be an intermediary between you and the insurance company. And then see what other resources are out there. Um, definitely contact us. You know, there are some places out there that have some grants that might be able to help with that. Um, so I would recommend calling us, talking to the medical team, and getting connected to patient advocates or navigators that are out there. Excellent. And thank you. And there's one, I want to take this one last question. Um, I'm going to ask if Dr. Um, Cohen can address this and others as well. But where would you suggest a person look for assistance with mind body practice if no classes are available locally? Um, that's a tough question. So, uh, so no classes available locally means no YMCA, you know, somebody who I'm, I'm guessing. It, you know, more rural. You know, not no access to uh, a, uh, a even even a small town. I, I know. You know, many of our patients from MD Anderson live in rural Texas, and uh, I've been surprised at uh, what they've been able to find in their communities. So make sure no stone is unturned. Um, but then um, turn online, and you know there are a number of uh, wonderful programs now that are are online. Um, ideally, you are uh, looking for for ones that have some type of um, evidence behind them, um, where they have been um, vetted. Let's say so on MD Anderson's website. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure on Stanford's website. Um, other cancer centers around the country, they would have uh, accessible different meditations 
iTunes that you can download. If you go to uh, iTunes University, you can uh, type in MD Anderson or you can type in my name, uh, Lorenzo Cohen, and it links you to a lot of free different mind-body practices that that you can uh, do online. Now, of course, you know what you can do online and what's the most appropriate in terms of uh, safety would be more of the uh, seated types of meditations. Um, it's it's not advisable to uh, learn yoga through a video or through um, an online um, delivery, uh, but you certainly have access to, to many, many, many different types of uh, mind-body practices, and uh, that's, that's a, a good place to start, I would think. One I might mention that a lot of people like, and it's it's designed to be very approachable and give people basic uh, experience. They use a sort of cartoon visuals. Is Headspace, which a lot of people like. It's sort of basic training in meditation practice, and it's a way to at least get started in using mindfulness as a stress management technique. Yeah, I wasn't going to name any in particular, but yeah. that was the one on the tip of my tongue. Um, part, partly because, as as you described it, it's fun, it's approachable, and in fact, the the uh, developer of of Headspace uh, is a cancer survivor. So there you go. Oh, terrific! Good. And neither of us are affiliated with it, so we can. Uh... No, maybe we should be after this. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Wow. Wonderful resource. And, and Sarah, do you have any thoughts about that as well? Any resources or what do we do when people call and want to get connected? No, you know, I think that Dr. Cohen and Dr. Spiegel really covered it. But there are really great online resources and, and apps, um, which is what Headspace is. So. Wow. I have to say we could go on for quite a bit longer this afternoon, but I realize that everyone's time, of course, we just allowed a certain amount of time for today's call. So I just want to thank our speakers. You have been phenomenal. I also want to thank our participants who have asked such really wonderful and brilliant questions, really. And and um, I hope that the information you received is very helpful to you. Um, I also would like to, um, you know, recognize that you may have questions that we didn't get to and that m many of the questions and concerns you have go far beyond the scope of this one-hour program. So that to be respectful of that, I just would like to let you know that, first of all, if you have any medical questions or any concerns about your own situation, which is part of the question some of you have asked, your healthcare team, of course, is a good place to go. The institution that's treating you is a very good place to go um, because they actually always can, they might be able to be of help to you. But I know some of you like to get information other places as well. So one place I often recommend is the National Cancer Institute. They have a a number that you can call an 800 number, 1-800-422-6237, and you'll be getting all of this. When you get your evaluation for the program today, you're going to get all these resources written out for you. They also happen to have a live chat feature, um, www.cancer.gov. Their homepage allows you to ask a question live with one of their information specialists, and they might be able to find resources in your community and things that you could actually, um, you know, that you might be able to actually have um, uh, you know, available to you in, in terms of getting that information. Um, also, um, we did talk about a lot of resources today on the program. And we, most importantly, I think this has come up a lot, we really don't want any of you, I think all of our speakers have said that, to feel that you're alone. I know sometimes you'll all feel that you're alone, but we don't want you to feel, we don't want you to leave this program today feeling that you're alone. 
you now have connections with lots of different resources, and we're going to send you more of those and after the program as well. Um, and that really, that support is really important, a network of support. I think that's come up a lot um, for all of you. Um, we're hosting the program today at Cancer Care, so certainly you can contact us at Cancer Care. You'll be getting all the information to call us. You have a toll-free number, a website, you can post a question here. We're here to help you. I want to thank you all for your participation today. This has been an extraordinary call. I have to say it's one that we would like to repeat more often. And um, it will be available for you to listen to, so um, give it a day or two, and it will be up on our website and also available on Telephone Replay. And you can listen to it as often as you want to, 24 hours a day, um, 365 days of the year. So anytime you want to listen to it, you can. it's there for you to listen to. And it's amazing when you listen to a call a second or third time, you hear things that you might not have heard the first time. So again, thank you all, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.